Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Media Boat Podcast, your weekly episodes of us talking about movies, TV, music, and video games, not necessarily in that order. My name is Mike. His name is Matt. My name is Matt. What are we doing with our voices? His name is Mike. And yes, thank you for joining us here at the Media Boat Podcast. Today is December the 19th, 2023. This is episode 414. We are inching ever so closer to 2024, but we have at least one more regular uh, regularly scheduled uh, Tuesday show for you before the new year, so look forward yep. to that. Yep, that makes this one the penultimate episode Indeed. of also, the year. Also, since it's the end of the year, this is our time to mention, we are currently in the middle of our 2023 year-end wrap-up. And if you're new to the podcast and you don't know what we do in wrap-up season, well, go to our YouTube channel or to your podcast feed where you found the show, and you'll find several wrap-up episodes that we've already done, including our wrap-up of the year in music, the wrap-up of the year in video games, and most recently, the wrap-up in the year of television. We have one of those episodes left, the wrap-up in movies. That'll be this coming weekend, so tune in for that. Don't worry, probably won't be going up on on Christmas Eve, but perhaps the day before, so you have something to unwrap on uh, something else to unwrap us. Don't think about that too much. Um, then, of course, there will be a last episode in that wrap-up series on the final day of the year in which we will look forward, look at our crystal balls, and look forward to the year that will be of 2024. So look forward to all that. That will be in your podcast feed or on the YouTube channel. But in the meantime, let's get rolling with today's regular episode of the Media Vote Podcast. Yes, let's get rolling right into it. We always start with the music section. Start the music section with the billboard. We start the billboard with the Hot 100. And the Hot 100 Top 5 explains why I was singing the intro, because it's nothing but Christmas songs. No. That's right. We've hit it. It's here. It's here. Uh, especially with number one, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Your number one song, followed by Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. Being sung by Brenda Lee. <laughs> uh, at three, Jingle Bell Rock by Bobby Helms. Coming at four is Last Christmas by Wham. And running at your top five, it is indeed a Holly Jolly Christmas by One Burrow Eyes. Yep. As for your albums chart, your Billboard 200, at number one is Pink Friday. Two by Nicki Minaj. Yes, we talked about uh, that last week. You can hear my yeah. thoughts about it then. As that is debuting at number one. Uh, coming in at two is 1989, Taylor's version by Taylor Swift. At three, for All the Dogs by Drake. At four, we have Think Later by Tate McRae. And rounding out your top five, Get in the holiday spirit. It's Christmas <laughs> by Michael Bublé. He's here. He's here. He's there. He's every freaking where. <laughs> Bublé. Bublé. Anyway, yeah. I mean, this is the time of year for you. It always looks like this. It definitely does. It also looks like if you didn't like any of those albums, 
Too bad. Yeah, no new releases. No new releases in either category today. So just forget about buying things until January. Forget about anything new coming around. Get to those lists and enjoy what the year had in store for you. Indeed. And speaking of what the year had in store for us, uh, we had a album by Kesha. We did. And it may as well beat her last album. With dot dot dot. With Dr. Luke, yes. Yes. As Kesha has indeed parted ways with both her label and management. Uh, The news comes six months after the singer settled multiple lawsuits with her former producer and label owner, Dr. Luke, which stretched over nearly 10 years, but was settled out of court in June. The singer's deal with Luke's label, uh, the aforementioned Kimosabe label, uh, which is distributed by RCA Records, officially ended last week, seven months after the release of her last contractual album with the label, Gag Order, which was released back in May of this year. In the statement to Variety, a rep for her longtime manager confirmed on Tuesday that the singer has also parted ways with the company. Quote, Jack Rovner confirms, after 16 years, Keisha and Vector Management have agreed amicably to part ways with much love and respect. So, new year, new slate, new management and label under Kesha. Yeah, where'd she go? This was bound to happen at some point after that uh, public statement that they both made, that joint statement a few months ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we kind of knew this was going to happen. It was just a matter of time. And now that it finally has... That's great news. I mean, this kind of lets her release her own music in another capacity without having to worry about the baggage of having Dr. Luke gain money from it. Um, It's a new era now for Kesha. She's free to do whatever she wants to do with her career, and that's probably really exciting for her. She's currently on tour, uh, so likely we won't hear a whole lot of new this new recording until later, possibly sometime next year. Uh, But when it happens, I feel like there'll be a new kind of press restart kind of vibe for her. And that's exciting. See, you say that, but we do know and have seen artists in the past write and record while on tour. Maybe it'll it'll be cleaned up and in studio after the tour is done. Yes, but... I'm pretty sure she's working on new music as we yeah. speak right now. What I'm saying is, I don't know, obviously, either way, but what I'm saying is, is that whenever we get it, I think it will be a different vibe. I think that this newfound freedom will be very exciting. Uh, it will be, and we'll get to see a new Kesha, possibly, in the coming year. Maybe so. Years? Year? Is there an S going to be on there? Or is it going to be a dollar sign S? <laughs> <laughs> Let's get to our second story, talking go to the countryside here, with Luke Combs. Yes. As he woke up early Wednesday morning, learning of a TV news interview with a weeping woman in Florida, Nicole Harness, who'd been slapped with a $250,000 judgment by a federal court in Illinois, along with having thousands of dollars seized from her frozen Amazon seller's account because she had sold $380 worth of unauthorized Luke Combs merch on the Amazon website. 
the pricey inflation uh, included infraction. Infraction. <laughs> I mean, inflation isn't infraction. The pricey infraction <laughs> was 18 homemade drink tumblers bearing the singer's name and likeness. What further seized the public's attention, um, not only had uh, Nicole Harness been hospitalized for a chronic heart condition when the suit was being decided, the convalescing mom never even knew she was being sued, having been served in an email that went to her junk folder <laughs> on an AOL account she rarely checks. Until she learned her web store was out of commission and looked up the bad news. He said he would double the $5,500 his lawyers had seized from Harness's Amazon account, who uh, would sell his own Tumblr on his web store to raise money for her medical bills, as it was online on his storefront by the end of the day, and would invite her to meet him at the show. The $250,000 fine was something she no longer needed to worry about. Hey, is this Luke Combs being a good guy? Yeah, so this was this is kind of a feel good story. Luke Combs uh, became aware of this woman who basically got fleeced by by some sort of lit lit lit, 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 lit you know some litigation sort of litigious lawsuit. I'm trying to think of like the 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 you know the adjective for it, but anyway, mm -hmm. some sort of body that was responsible for Luke Combs' copyright, not Luke Combs himself, caught this store selling it, like illegitimate merchandise and shut it down and sued. And without, of course, Luke Combs knowing about it. This is a good example of sometimes the disconnect between the management of mm -hmm. a artist's brand as opposed to the artist themselves, who maybe never even deals with that side of their image and likeness. So he was so disconnected that when you find out what happened to this poor woman, he decided to do something about it. And he raised money to pay her back. So... Yeah, I thought it was kind of a nice story. It just it just it shows a different side of Luke Combs um, that I think is neat to see. And yeah, more artists should be kind of looking into things like this and using their power and their platform to like help out people who are accused of doing some very 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 small bit just to keep going. In this case, you know, while they're dealing with a medical emergency. Yeah, it seemed like he was like got wind of it. Got right on it, jumped in his fast car, and immediately went to save the day. <laughs> Something like that, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, say what you will about Luke Combs as an artist, but hey, this was a neat thing to do. Hey, it's not to have a feel-good story at the end of the year here. Exactly, exactly. Uh, but let's move on to some not-good stories as we move on into video games, where we start with no releases. Yeah, no releases and here either. And get right into the video game news. Where, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's, I thought so. Uh, where <laughs> we're going to um, talk about Insomniac, you know, yeah, the guy who just put out uh, yeah. Spider Man 2. You're yes. saying, I was gonna say, this unfortunately is not a feel good story, it's the exact opposite. Oh, no, see, that's why we pivoted away from music where it was a feel good story. Yeah, both of those are feel good stories. Both of these, depending on where you land on it, yeah, are not, not. feel good <laughs> stories. As a ransomware group claimed to have hacked PlayStation's Insomniac games, has now released a huge number of stolen files. Last week, uh, ransomware group Residia, or Rise, yeah, Residia, I think I got that right the first time, sure. 
uh, threatened to release sensitive data about the company, its employees, and its upcoming games if it wasn't paid for the data. Well, it then published data online which appeared to corroborate its claim that it had successfully hacked the Sony-owned studio, including an annotated screenshot from Insomniac's upcoming Wolverine game. The group then threatened to publish the stolen data within seven days, but first offered it for auction with a starting price with a low, low bid of only 50 bitcoins, or approximately $2 million. Yeah. Now, according to Cyber Daily, Residia has followed through with its threat and posted more than 1.3 million files, totally 1.67 terabytes, to its Darknet site. Around 98% of the stolen data has allegedly been released, with Residia stating that, quote, not sold data was uploaded, implying that the remaining 2% may have been sold to someone or some entity uh, on said dark web. So uh, this story is really complicated. It's even started a little bit of a um, division um, within the video game journalism community uh, as of this morning when kind of the leak uh, getting out there was finally re revealed uh, that this stuff was out there and people could see it. Uh, basically, the debate is this. Uh, you have some believing, well, it's news. The news is out there. We should cover this because it has interesting insights about video games, about Insomniac, and that there's things out there that we now know about these games that people should know about because of what it has to say about the industry. Then, of course, the other thing that this story doesn't mention that I think is actually incredibly important that I'm surprised that it's not in this story. This wasn't just video game data. So part of this was employee data. And I'm talking about social security numbers of employees. I'm talking about sensitive personal data. So when this is saying that there's 1.67 terabytes of stuff out there, that's not just screenshots of Wolverine. That is employee records so you have the other side of the debate saying well because people are at risk actual people like we have to like ha our precedent and our focus should be on the people who make these games regardless of what this has to say about video games it doesn't matter our jobs should be to protect the innocent from the potential danger there's even an argument where maybe don't even mention the name of the 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 the, the group that's responsible for this, or don't even talk about it at all because it just spreads this like notoriety, and it could happen again to another company. All that you know, say what you will about that. I think the difference here, and why I kind of side on the side of like, well, maybe don't talk about the details here, is because this leak is different from the ones we've seen in the last few years. Remember the Capcom leak that released a bunch of mm -hmm. uh, future titles? Some of that did come true. That didn't have personal data in it. So that feels a little different. So it's not a one-to-one -one comparison. You could also Even think the of GTA the... 6. Uh, Similarly, yeah. Similar release that, that came out yep. uh, even earlier this year in October for the official yep. trailer in December. And we also had uh, the infamous Nintendo Giga Leak, uh, mm -hmm. which had a lot of interesting stuff from the past 
from Nintendo's archives that Nintendo was never going to release. Again, no personal data in that, so it feels a little different. So, yeah, I personally, I saw a topic that did have the Wolverine stuff in it. I chose not to click on it because at this point, I feel like we this is a leak that has been compromised. This is a leak that feels dirtier. And wherever you side on that argument, I don't know, you know, whatever floats your boat, whatever makes you feel comfortable. But ultimately, it does bring into question, what is the responsibility of video game journalism? When does it shut off where journalism has to think about, oh, well, the story is here, but at what cost? And in this case, the cost is these real people have to, say, shut down their credit cards. They potentially have to move at worst, you know, like. They're in danger now because of these leakers. And that's brutal for a person to go through. So, yeah, this is a sucky story all around. And I don't care that we see some stuff about Wolverine that we didn't know about. It's just not, doesn't seem important to me in comparison to the other stuff. Well, whenever there's a huge, like, breach of data be that goes beyond IPs, beyond what they're making, and goes into, like you said, HR employees mm-hmm. personal data that's goes beyond what a company works on yeah and goes into who works for the company there's that that def- definite line and you're right yeah. it is very interesting of what gets covered um like you said the the uh story that you have here mm-hmm. isn't doesn't mention right personal data which Even is a though weird choice. It's out there. Or is it a person uh, done on purpose? So because if they don't mention it, yeah, then other people won't mention it. And then it's something that you're not going to thinking about. You're not going to go seek out. You're not going to seek out. Oh, I'm going to focus all my attention on the Wolverine or the next Spider-Man yeah. or the next right. Insomniac IP that they're working on and not the other um, gigs yeah. and files of data. I do want to note, though, in in the defense of whoever wrote this article for Video Games Chronicle, which I'm quoting here, uh, I did I only copied and pasted a portion of the story. It's very possible that down further in the article, maybe it does mention this. I don't know. Regardless, I think that's an incredibly important piece of information for people to know, just so they know the the depth of what we're talking about here, the importance of what actually happened and why it's dangerous and why it's a controversial topic. You didn't read the art. You just gave away everyone your secrets of what you do to get these dudes. What are you <laughs> doing? You just breached yourself. Uh, well, you know what? We lay out all the cards on the table here at the Media Boat <laughs> Podcast. You, we, we show you how the sausage gets made. It's plant-based what, sausage. What cards? We have like an Uno card, a playing card, and a <laughs> trap card. <laughs> the tarot cards. The tarot actually. card. Yeah. The six of wands. All right, let's move on. <laughs> let's stop talking about that. That's a sad one. But uh, hopefully nobody actually, ultimately, yes, we our hope is, is that nobody actually gets, is in any danger from this league. Hopefully uh, they recover from it because this, this is a bad, this is a bad position to be put into. All right, let's stop talking about Sony. Let's shift mm-hmm. our attention to, across the road. To Nintendo. No, this is Nintendo. This is Microsoft. Nintendo. No, I intended to say (laughs) Microsoft. There. Yes. yes. Saved it. (laughs) As Baldur's Gate 3 uh, creator, Larian Studios, has explained why the Game of the Year game, Mm -hmm. 
according to some of some people not the media but podcasts no 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 not not us <laughs> according to some trophy guy yeah some a lot, um, a lot of people that Baldur's gate 3 might never come to xbox's game pass subscription service after its release was held up by several months due to technical issues the mm-hmm. celebrated rpg launched for xbox series x and s to coincide with this month's the Game Awards, where it won six prizes, including the coveted Game of the Year Award. Asked by IGN if Xbox had attempted to bring the title to Game Pass, Larian founder and Baldur's Gate 3 director, Sven Vinnick, said, Such a deal has never been in the cards, at least as far as it was concerned. Quote, Oh, we always said from the get-go it wasn't going to be on Game Pass. It's not going to be on Game Pass. So look, we're in the business of making a game that has a beginning, middle, and an end. We made a big game, so I think there's a fair price to be paid for that. And I think that that is okay. Yeah. Close quote. (laughs) So there's two uh, angles to this story. One is the Microsoft angle, which is actually kind of interesting. If you recall, some documents that leaked out of, speaking of leaks, uh, out of the uh, Microsoft Activision hearings, the court stuff, some of those court documents revealed some titles that Microsoft was hoping to get on Game Pass and had dollars, dollar amounts for how much they would be willing to pay for them. One of them was Baldur's Gate 3. And in the text of those documents, Microsoft goes on to say, well, it's a smaller developer over at Larian. We're not sure how this one's going to go. So maybe they would do business for us. And maybe we'd shell out, I don't know, $5 million. So $5 million was the dollar amount that they were basically going to pay Larian, offer Larian to put Baldur's Gate on their Game Pass. Of course, Larian's side of the argument, that doesn't mean that they're not right here. They could have obviously taken that deal from uh, Microsoft and just said no. They could have absolutely said to Phil Spencer, exactly what he says here, which is, no, uh, that's not how we envisioned this game. When we made this game, we envisioned it as a $60 product, and that's the end of it, and that's it. Like, there was no, they they were not willing to make that deal happen. So I bet Microsoft tried, and they were denied. That is my read of this. And yeah, the other half of this is, of course, yeah, there's a there's a discussion I think that is, that is good to have about kinds of games that shouldn't be on Game Pass. If you're a developer and you really believe in your product and you believe that it should be a $60 product that you buy once and then you have and then you can replay and you don't have to worry about a subscription you know, fee being in the background, then I say go for it. Don't do Game Pass. Game Pass makes sense for, bar- for a lot of games and it's been a really good boon for a lot of developers. But Larian's never been on Game Pass before. Why would they start now? This is a huge success for them. Why not just keep sucking in that $60 a pop? You know, just enjoy it while you got it. Like, don't take the risk. And they ultimately decided not to. So this whole, you know, ideal world that a lot of Microsoft, like a lot of Xbox people want to live in, which is everything's on Game Pass and every big game is here and I get every game game for $16 a month. It's just not realistic for a lot of smaller developers. And believe it or not, game of the year, like, aside... Larian is still a very small developer in the big pond. So something important, I think, to keep in mind. Not everything that you want to play is going to come to Game Pass. Yeah, depending on the studio, it is a bird-in-the-hand, bird-in-the-bush situation. <laughs> of You can have your 
five million dollar check now or right. you can go the taylor swift route and bet <laughs> on yourself and right. see if it pays off or not right exactly and they were just not they just didn't want to because they that was just not how they envisioned their product and that's fair mm-hmm. and we should support that and the ecosystem should be big enough to support both of those things so if you're looking for the game of the year it's not going to be on Game Pass, but it might be under your tree next Monday. <laughs> well, who knows? Uh, you know, we didn't even go with the tree this year. What? Yeah. Not even this lonely Charlie Brown limpy tree? No, nothing. Nothing going on over here. Ooh, okay. I, I know what I want to get you for Christmas then. <laughs> not a tree, please. <laughs> Anyways. Um, game thoughts. Thoughts. Did uh, you play anything? I, apparently, I beat um, the Valhalla DLC. Apparently, yes. <laughs> somehow, I said somehow um, the there is indeed an end to roguelike games. I've finally accomplished that. I didn't think that was possible. Okay, but then again, I'm also playing a uh, God of War Ragnarok, a game I love to death, uh, and the enemies and the. Uh, very rogue light, yeah. Uh, aspect of it allowed me to uh, beat the game, like beat the <laughs> DLC, rather than just banging my head uh, over and over and over again. Um, thank you for including multiple difficulty levels. Some of us just want to get through the story and not beat our our head senselessly over a boss. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's I like how it uh, ties up both the current Kratos and the Greek original Kratos incarnation into one very, um, I want to say capped off event. Like if this feels like the right epilogue to coincide both the Greek version and the Norse version of Kratos. So it's a very nicely well done um, story. Short, only like an hour. I think it'd be in like three hours because like each run for me takes about an hour because I just do everything, but you do it about three or four times and you've beaten the story, but then you can unlock everything else as you do multiple runs. So as for the actual story, like I've beaten that and I'm happy with it. Cool. Especially because it was free. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, can't argue with that price. No, you cannot. Cool. Cool. Anything else going on? No. Been watching a lot of movies as we get ready to, do that episode this yes. upcoming weekend. And it is. So get ready. Yes. Did you play anything? Uh, so I finally downloaded Disney Speedstorm and I played, uh, let's say, three races of it. And I probably will never play Disney Speedstorm ever again. Oh, no. You're not hooked. I think you maybe didn't. Ex- I mean, OK. It's not that I don't. Ex- hmm. How do I want to put this? You haven't played a whole lot of Mario Kart, have you? No. This may be the difference between our reception of Disney Storm, Because I hopped into it, literally, because you kind of do the hop thing to do the the Mario Kart-esque drifting. It plays so much worse than Mario Kart. It really threw me off at first. It's very clearly trying to be a Mario Kart, except with zero, and I'm talking about zero visual flair. It is a weirdly dark game. It's a weirdly, like, rendered game. So I played it on the Xbox Series X, and it's like the 
design character designs are weirdly like edgy and like every track seems to, to be like dull it's not very colorful the items are not really easy to distinguish between each other because they don't pop out at you they're all very again dull boring colors they don't really um the text on the screen is not big enough to tell you what you have and what the explain what the items actually do the tutorial really just slaps you in the face every time it tells you to what button to press on something i'm just like whoa okay game all right fine i will hold this down to charge it and it's really unclear. I don't like how the 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 power ups are, or not the power ups. The unlocks are de are described. I'm like, oh cool, I got the color orange. What am I supposed to do with the color orange? Oh, I put this on my cart. Okay, cool. But the number one problem I have with it is it just doesn't feel good. The racing is bad. Why didn't you tell me that the racing was bad? I'm fine with the racing. The racing doesn't <laughs> bug me. How's the, how's the racing the one thing bugging you? It just doesn't feel good to play. I play it, I'm trying to play it like Mar Mario Kart. And Mario Kart feels good. It feels like there's like a weight to the cart. It feels like the 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 well, thing about isn't the Mario drifting, Kart. This is Speedstorm. The drifting snaps in a way that's really weird. Like you you it doesn't there's not like a really smooth transition out of the drift into the turbo boost. And I played a lot of games where that with a similar mechanic, including last week. Rocket Racers, the Fortnite racing mode that they just mm -hmm. introduced. That game has a better drift mechanic than Speedstorm. It feels like it just snaps out of the animation and all of a sudden you're careening forward. I just couldn't figure it out. Like it just didn't really make sense to me. Like the physics of it didn't feel right. So I was just like, you know what? I don't know if I have the patience or willpower to stick around and unlock more people. Like I just don't want to. Like, I don't know. It just wasn't for me. Weird. Yeah. Maybe it's the Xbox version. With it at all. I don't know if maybe, it's just... Maybe it's the, the Mac version. version. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. I could try it on Switch and tell you if there's one-to-one -one comparison there, but uh, I don't know if I just have any desire to want to try it again. Damn. So no, Disney Speedstorm will not be appearing on the top <laughs> Anyways, but yeah, I was curious, decided to check it out anyway. All right, uh, let's see here. I got no, so nothing else in video games. Right. Let's move on yes. as we speed our way through to television. And we always start the television section with the sports corner. We start in sports with the NBA. Steph Curry's NBA record three pointer streak has ended at long last. At 268 games. So, uh, congratulations. Yes. That's, I think this goes all the way back to 2018, where he's made at least one three pointer mm -hmm. in every game consecutively. A feat that probably won't be broken. No. Because um, three pointers are kind of hard in the NBA. Yeah. It bit. makes it look that easy. <laughs> But yeah, so he must have missed it because yeah, he did not. That streak is over as of uh, this week. So sorry, Steph. Then also in the NBA, there are five games on Christmas Day. Correct. It Dang. is NBA Christmas. You got the Bucks versus the Knucks. I mean the Knicks. The <laughs> Celtics versus the Lakers in a classic afternoon match. Mm -hmm. uh, Mavericks versus the Suns. Warriors versus the defending NBA champions Nuggets 
And to round it all off, uh, the 76ers versus the Heat. Ah. So a nice span of games going from East Coast to West Coast uh, for all your NBA needs. So there you go. So basketball fans can curl up with their presents and their hot cocoa and watch some basketball all day on Christmas. So look forward to that. In the meantime, in the hockey world, it's a regular coaching carousel as coaches are moving from one team going to another. Et cetera, nah, these et cetera, are all the ones who've been fired. <laughs> well, that's the carousel then in that case. That's just a highway to hell. Yeah, they're getting off this ride. So we start with Minnesota Wild, who has fired the, uh, Dean Evanson. The Edmonton Oilers replaced Jay Woodcroft. Craig Berube was fired as coach of the St. Louis Blues, and the Ottawa Senators have fired their coach, DJ Smith. That's right. That is four NHL coaches vacant after two months of hockey. Yeah, that's not a lot of hockey. I mean, you know, so these were already on their way out based off their previous records, but also, you know, you're two months into the season and are already making a head yeah. coaching change. Oh, boy. What is this, the NFL? Oh, no, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it doesn't look good for those uh, franchises, if that's what you're doing. Yes, it so. is very much what I'm doing, or whatever so, they're doing. Yeah. Either way, um, good luck to those teams. Yes, Meanwhile, good luck. Um, your head coach is right around the ice rink. Yeah. Yeah. Nice rings. Yeah, because yeah, they're round off the edges. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Anyway, not played a nice rink. College football, which is played out in a sometimes snowy field. Um, in this case, someone who won't be visiting a snowy field, LSU quarterback Jaden Daniels, the 2023 Heisman Trophy winner, is opting out of the Tigers' upcoming bowl game and instead is heading directly to the NFL draft, not passing go and not collecting $200. But he so, will be collecting a sign bonus. <laughs> yeah, which is probably, hopefully, more than $200. <laughs> so, yeah, he's getting his payday. Yeah, he's not going to risk being injured in the upcoming bowl game, which doesn't mm-hmm. even matter, because, as I mentioned when we talked about him winning the Heisman Trophy, he's not even playing for one of the big bowl games. No. Yeah. Uh, he's down there at the, um, oh, God, what are they playing in the... Uh, in the I don't give a shit bowl. That's right. <laughs> the Relia Quest Bowl in Tampa, Florida. <laughs> you made that up. That's not real. Yes, the Relia Quest Bowl is the actual bowl they're playing in. <laughs> Just, I would love to wake up this... in the morning, get my coffee, and have a big bowl of Relia Quest. Hey, you can, you can either watch that or you can watch the Cheez-It Citrus Bowl. What the I don't think I want that. I don't think I want oranges in my Cheez-It bowl. Anyways. No, no, the orange bowl is something separate. This yeah, is the Cheez-It citrus, citrus bowl. bowl. Yeah, I don't want which is different from the orange bowl. No, thank you. All right, anyway. Speaking of football and the NFL, we now move on to the coaching carousel of the NFL, as they also have a bunch of coach getting the ouster. The Raiders have parted way with Josh McDaniels. The Panthers fired Frank Reich. And the Chargers have dismissed their coach, Brandon Staley. Meanwhile, a follow-up on your story last week. Rumors still swirl that Bill Belichick will part with the Patriots at the end of the season. 
is not confirmed, right. but the Patriots are like three and eleven currently. <laughs> Bad. Um, they have Amber not made is the, the playoffs. Color of their energy. Whoa! They have not made the playoffs since Tom Brady left. Oh. And seeing as this is going to be Bill Belichick's second year in a row with a sub five hundred team, yeah, Patriots might be looking to move on. Um, yeah, get fresh, younger um, ideas into the head coaching position. Get some new blood in there because, yeah, that franchise is slowly going into obscurity as long as that's their record. So, you'll see. Also, in NFL news, the Eagles have lost their third game Mm -hmm. in a row. Uh, This last one, Monday Night Football, to the Seattle Seahawks mm. with a backup quarterback in Drew Locke. Mm. So things He's... are not as lovely in the city of Brotherly. No. Uh, but hey, just like the NBA, if you don't want to watch five games on Christmas <laughs> Day, you can choose from the three NFL games on Christmas Day. Yes. But, uh, uh yeah. yeah. You have some good division games, including Raiders at Chiefs, Giants at Eagles, mm-hmm. and running out on the nightcap, Ravens versus the Ninnies. <laughs> Who? Niners. Oh, okay. For the fourth, the 49ers. <laughs> the 49ers. Yep. Uh, well, there you go. Then, if you're a baseball fan, well, sorry, we don't have big, you know, world-exploding news like we did last week for you. However, the stove is still hot. The deals are still being made. People are getting signed. We're just waiting on a few big names here to still drop the other shoe here. Um, I saw today still a mystery of where Matt, the always intense Matt Chapman will arrive. Mm-hmm. So who knows? And speaking of rumor mill in the MLB, mm. Amazon yes. is going to be delivering not just your packages, but <laughs> possibly your local team in a yes. deal with Diamond Sports Group. Yes, so this was a Wall Street Journal uh, article I found myself on my own volition today, not even doing research for the show. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it was uh, that Amazon is possibly looking to make a some sort of investment in the Diamond Sports Group that would be, as part of that investment, bring some of their distribution deals in-house Amazon Prime streaming, Prime Video. And that could include the baseball deals because as of this article's writing, They've renewed their contracts with NHL teams and they've renewed their contracts with NBA teams, but they have not renewed any contracts for MLB teams. That's all of them. And that's like, what, 40 markets, I think you were saying, which is absurd. And so the fact that there's only 32 or 30 MLB teams. Well, I guess there's crossovers. I think what it is is that there's crossovers like Orange County is a market as opposed to LA and those are separate treated, you know, anyway. Also, there's international markets. But anyway, um, so yeah, so Amazon could potentially, if this does occur, which this is not confirmed, um, if this does occur, they could possibly have streaming baseball games uh, be included as a perk in Amazon Prime. This would bring them to a a similar point as where Max is with the Bleacher Report uh, sports packages Mm -hmm. that they have as well as Peacock's deals uh, with, you know, certain sports organizations and something like, uh, 
you know, but eventually will come to Disney Plus as part of the ESPN package stuff, trying to remain competitive with these other streaming networks with their sports offerings. Yep, and then there's Netflix over there without a sports team. Well, I mean, they're trying to make their own sports universe with whatever that cup thing was. Yeah, yeah. With full swing against the racing people. So they're trying. Oh, and try hard they do. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that could be interesting. We'll keep an eye on that uh, because ultimately, Bally's uh, running out of time. Uh, they need to figure out whether they're going to re-sign all that stuff before March. Um, and that's three months, folks. Like, there's not a whole lot of time for them to make these deals. So Amazon, it would be very smart to swoop in and grab those rights, lock them down before the baseball season can start. I was talking to someone about this and mentioned that, oh, yeah, they just have until Q1 to figure things out. <laughs> and they glared at me so hard when I mentioned that it was Q1. <laughs> Q1. What are you, an accountant? <laughs> Anyway. I'm not a C-suite guy. Come on. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. Not yet. Right. Anyway, anything else in sports before we move on to television news? Um, UFC is having big fights these upcoming weeks, especially sports. with the New Year's Day. Sports. Theme. Sports. Okay. Uh, same with WWE as the New Year's sports. Day. Sports. <laughs> Fine. With the New Year's that with the new year coming around the corner, look out for the Genesis Invitational as the that gets placed in Hawaii at the beginning of every year. So, oh wait, will they even do it because Live Golf and PGA merged? Who's going to be on it? Who knows? Find out. We live in a look new world of golf as of next we'll year. We'll find out next year. All right. What else we will find out next year is hey, somebody's missing from my Jeopardy. Eh, good riddance. The mystery surrounding oh, my oh, <laughs> uh, Jeopardy future is at last long been solved. She's not returning. Quote, this is something she posted on her social media. Sony has informed me that I will no longer be hosting the syndicated version of Jeopardy. I am incredibly honored to have been nominated for a primetime Emmy, humble brag, for hosting this year, and I am deeply grateful for the opportunity to have been part of the Jeopardy family. End quote. Sony released parallel to this, the following statement, quote, we made the decision to have one host for the syndicated show next season to maintain continuity for our viewers, and Ken Jennings will be the sole host for syndicated Jeopardy. We are truly grateful for all of Mayim's contrib contributions to Jeopardy, and we hope to continue to work with her on primetime specials. So what this means is, yes, your syndicated version of Jeopardy, you're on it every day. One mm -hmm. will just be hosted by Ken Jennings. He will be the host of that. But Mayim possibly could come back for something like future institute, like future future version of Celebrity Jeopardy or some sort of special tournament that they do. Features Jeopardy, those, College yeah. Jeopardy. Yep. One of those A uh, ABC aired special tournaments. Not yes, the, the prime time eight o'clock uh, okay. tournaments. Not your everyday seven p.m. Yeah. must watch Jeopardy show. So yeah, there's a lot of questions here about why this move was made. Uh, you could make all sorts of arguments. I think one is that Mayim's not exactly a um, a figure who doesn't lead uh, a controversial life. She's had a lot of controversial opinions of all sorts of things. 
Most recently, she's been very, a very, very vocal supporter of uh, the nation of Israel during this uh, combat that's been happening against the Palestinian people. Um, and so that possibly has rubbed people little the wrong way. That's a possibility. Also, she's been, you know, questionable in her treatment of vaccines in the past and has been very vocal in, 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 you know, in that kind of realm as well. And yeah, um, I can understand that if you're Sony and you're trying to get the most, like, agreed upon host for your show, even Ken Jennings, with his questionable sense of humor, is a better choice than Maya. And I think they didn't want to keep having to fend off the controversy. And this gives them a way out. See, you're providing all these scenarios of like big topics, world yeah. topics for my Bialik. I'm going to actually bring it close to home and say it's a lot uh, more simpler than that. When the strikes were happening and game mm. shows could be the only thing to be recorded, Maya Bialik sided with both the writers and the actors and decided not to participate as host. Yeah. for Jeopardy, even though they got the kind of bubble to go ahead and make the episodes. Mm -hmm. She was very vocal in saying, I will not do this for Jeopardy. And seeing yeah. as they're just going to start a new season, it's an easy way for them to kind of, well, if you're not going to be a team player at the company, <laughs> good luck. You're not going to be working for us. That's certainly I think it's more simpler than that. I mean, that's certainly a possibility. Obviously, we're not a fly on the wall. Uh, we don't know how this decision was reached it's yeah you could be right um i think that yeah it's it, that's like the one positive for me is that she did say uh, show up in solidarity there for her mm -hmm. their writers that's pretty cool ken jennings did not and i still kind of slight him for that but if he believed that there was some sort of like angle for that, I, maybe he would have been more willing to do it. I don't know. Again, not a fly on the wall. I don't know what those conversations were like. I don't know what his opinion was because he very pointedly did not talk about the writer strikes during when they were happening. And so, yeah, I don't know. Ultimately, though, at the end of the day, when it comes to watching Jeopardy, Ken's the better host. So I'm okay with this at the end, like like as a decision going forward. I mean, he at least think he got a full year to get his affairs in order to move his entire like family and life to Los Angeles so he could be the host full time. Right. Um it's weird that we had this three year period post Alex Trebek of one two of them were rotating hosts and one of them was switching hosts between Ken Jennings and Mayan Bialik. Right. So little yeah. bit of weird Jeopardy lore there. It's been a long However road long, to get it here. It keeps yeah. getting... Yeah. However long the show continues to run. Oh, yeah. Forever, probably. All right. Let's move on to our speaking second Speaking of shows that here. running forever... Yeah, speaking of running forever, well, uh, One Piece is a show that's been running forever since 1999 in Japan. Uh, but on the heels of the immense success of the first season of the live-action One Piece adaptation on Netflix, Netflix has teamed up with One Piece creator Ichiro Oda... Publisher Shue Shueisha, Shueisha. Shueisha Television Network and the Toei Animation Company for a new anime ad adaptation of One Piece. Yes, this project is completely separate from the existing One Piece anime series, also produced by Toei, who has been running since, like I said, 1999. The remake, titled The One Piece, 
just like the Ohio State, will cover the same part story told in Oda's manga, beginning at the same point as both the existing anime and Netflix's live-action adaptation, following the, quote, East Blues saga, unquote, of aspiring pirate king Monkey D. Luffy and his crew. So I saw a lot of people point to Dragon Ball Kai as an example. It's basically mm-hmm. a show that has the same story as the existing uh, story, but perhaps shorten some sequences, perhaps combine some things, maybe skip some filler. I don't know. It gives them more power over, like to reinterpret the work, if you will. And that could be very well what this is. Well, the purpose of the Kais was that it was a, what, 15, 20 year gap from when Dragon Ball Z originally aired right. to its current iteration. And it did what it was supposed to do, which was both reinvigorate the love of Dragon Ball Z and also mm. take out all the filler from those original <laughs> 80s runs, 90s right. runs, uh, to cut it down. Um, but going back to the name, the One Piece, they're doing a reverse Suicide Squad here. <laughs> they are. By adding the back into the name. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of silly, but I get what they're trying to do. They just needed some name that wasn't just One Piece again. And so... Right. Uh, and they also can't call it something else like Luffy's Adventure. Uh, <laughs> because if you don't know that it's One Piece, it, it they want to keep the name One Piece because that's what they're synonymous with. Uh, it makes sense, but that does mean that there will be two animated versions of yes. One Piece running at the same time, along with a live action version of One Piece. That's a lot of One Piece. Uh, I mean, that that's no longer One Piece. That's three pieces. That's three piece. That's a three piece yes. suit right there. That's the vest, the blazer, and the pants. Mm-hmm. Anyways, <laughs> those are the three pieces of three piece suit, right? Yeah. It is. I think so. Yeah. yeah the, <laughs> the vest, the blazer, and the pants. And the yeah. pants. Yeah. Yeah. Shirts are optional. Shirts are optional. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Anyways. Let's move on. Uh, you watched something on a television this week. Talk about yes. it. Yes. Uh, it is the holiday season. And as such, Apple TV put out its holiday uh, event. It's not sure. a movie because it's like 40 minutes. Well, it's, it's a special. It's a special. Uh, the Velveteen Rabbit. Based on the and, book of the same name, I'm guessing. Yes. Uh, the, the, this is more specifically the first edition of the book of the Velveteen Rabbit. Wait, does uh, it whatever. matter? Uh, kind of does, yes, because they change a lot of stuff uh, as the years go on. Oh, is it less sad now? Yes. <laughs> but the Apple TV version one isn't. Uh, that is super sad it's super sad we're not watching it's super this. sad uh yeah. was not expecting it to be as sad as it was uh but at least the good thing is that they're actually trying something different here there's uh, actually different styles of animation in the velveteen habit from stop motion to uh hand-drawn to live action to cg uh thrown into here so it's a nice little variety of animated styles uh telling the story of the Velveteen Rabbit. And if okay. you don't know it, or if you haven't um, read it in a long time, um, buckle up. Because <laughs> it, it doesn't pull any punches. It goes into kind of like that whole, uh, what like, am I real? What is real kind of scenario that the Velveteen Rabbit originally went into. The Velveteen Rabbit's going to fuck you up. 
build a rabbit to save the day, <laughs> to give his life for his uh for the boy. In a world boy. where all rabbits are velveteen. For the boy. Anyways, <laughs> it's there. It's Apple TV Plus. So, it's, like I said, it's 40 minutes. It's nice. <laughs> it's it's quick. Would you recommend it to anybody who has uh, nostalgia for the original uh, book? I recommend it to anyone. Like, it's a, like, a like family, family Christmas movie. Because uh, the rabbit was given during Christmas. So thus, it is a Christmas movie. Come fight me if you think otherwise. Uh, but yeah, I think the Velvet Rabbit gets added into the rotation of holiday classics that you watch once a year <laughs> all right well we're gonna pass because christy is apparently has childhood scars from the velveteen rabbit and refuses to relive them so oh this would be perfect for her <laughs> doesn't sound like it no <laughs> all right anyway anything else uh that we should talk about i don't we don't have anything here we've been just um finishing other stuff up doing some catch-up um um, well, I guess I could mention. Ended, so watch that. But yeah, that's every year. I guess I could mention um, for fans of the animated uh, show Hilda on Netflix, uh, season three just came out. And so we've been watching with that. Uh, and it's still great. Still one of the better uh, kids' shows on Netflix. We really recommend it. Um, because it is the week of Christmas specials, mm-hmm. both CMA Christmas and Willie Nelson's 90th birthday celebration available um on demand or hulu yeah 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 all right let's move on then out of television and into cancellations and renewals what am i no longer watching you are no longer watching hightown on stars as that is oh wait, no, sorry wrong hightown no yeah <laughs> hightown on stars has been called after canceled after three seasons um, HBO has confirmed that the 12th season of Curb Your Enthusiasm will finally be it. It will finally be over for reals this time. So This is also according to Larry David that it will yeah. be over, but he does answer to his bank account, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I know that Bitcoin ad from the Super Bowl that one year <laughs> proves that. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so that's and then lastly in uh cancellations good omens on prime video its third season will be its final season it did get approved for a third season but yes. yes we'll have to wait for it to actually film it because the season ended but yeah the upcoming third season will be its last then as for renewals apple tv plus will be bringing back platonic for a second season which i'm kind of shocked at i thought that was one a movie <laughs> or two a like <laughs> limited series who can say? I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, stars will be bringing back Power Book 4, colon, Force for a third season. Get it? Get it? Four. Force. Yeah, four. Force. MGM Plus. Yes. MGM Plus will be bringing back Beacon <laughs> 23 for a second season. I still don't know anybody who has MGM Plus. Enough people to bring back Beacon 23. Yep. And then Apple TV Plus will be renewing The Buccaneers for a second season. Uh, Christy's watching that right now. She seems to be having an okay time with it. Okay. Yeah, so. All right, let's move on to movie news. And we start, oh, sorry, I skipped it, with the box office uh, numbers. Because we always start the movie section with the box office, and I totally would have overlooked it if I didn't remember it. Uh, debuting at number one this week is Timothée Chalamet's Wonka 
at $39 million. Uh, that's okay, I guess. Probably wanted it's, more from that thing, but all right. That is the cost of one huge Grand Oompa Loompa. It really is. Yeah. Number two in the box office this week, The Hunger Games, colon, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, sticks around with another $5.8 million. That's at $145 million. That's probably Surprise. one of the better performing movies of the year, which is bizarre Surprise. to say. People still care about The Hunger Games, turns out, and they showed up. Someone uh, did. <laughs> yes, somebody did. Number three, The Boy and the Heron, $5.5 million. That's at $23 million and already getting some Oscar buzz for animated feature. Mm-hmm. Number four, Godzilla Minus One, still sticking around $5 million. That's at 34 And number five, Trolls Band Together. Yeah, still with another $4 million. <laughs> that's at $88 million. That's still, that may, might crawl to 100 if it's still keeps this number five spot through the holidays see it won't because (laughs) it's christmas weekend yeah we do have movies that are actually coming out this week i believe it or not there's no music there's no video games but there are movies and this is the lineup for y'all this week we have aquaman and the last kingdom that's the sequel uh to aquaman as you might imagine um so get your jason momoa on uh by seeing that in a movie theater this week we also have migration this is the illumination feature uh with the birds migrating this looks bad but i don't like illumination stuff so who am i to judge uh (laughs) you also have the iron claw which what is this uh this is the wrestling movie starring uh Mm. jeremy allen white and zach efron Right, yes, got uh, it. A24 film. Got it. And then lastly, American Fiction. Uh, yeah, it is. Technically, this came out this week in the limited release. Um, this stars uh, Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross mm-hmm. in a um, comedy. I guess it's a comedy. Find out. Oh, wait, no, we're not done because there's actually two movies that are coming out on Christmas Day. So Monday releases. One of them is none other than Steven Spielberg presents the musical version of <laughs> The Color Purple. Uh, actually looking forward to this one. Uh, Christy loves The Color Purple musical, so we're mate. Check this out. Probably not in the theater. Definitely not on Christmas Day, but we'll definitely uh, check this out at some point before Oscar season. And then also The Boys in the Boat. Uh, this is the Joel Edgerton movie. Uh, about the rowing team uh, rowing against Hitler's Olympics. Yet uh, another Hitler Olympics film. Hitler Olympic um, films. And also getting a wide release, the Adam Driver Ferrari movie. Right, uh, Ferrari. Got yes. moved up to be a Christmas, Christmas Day release. Well, there you go. So those are new releases uh, this week. So go back, pack those movie theaters and see some stuff. Uh, there's a lot to see. Or don't, because everyone's getting sick. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Or maybe stay home if you have a little cough. Anyway, let's move on uh, to movie news. Our first story is, well, comeuppance. My favorite word. Delicious. It's here. Jonathan Majors is in the news again. And yes, the shoe finally dropped. He has been convicted of two misdemeanor counts of harassment and assault of Grace Jabari, his ex-girlfriend. 
The actor was arrested back in March 25th on assault of harassment charges. Since his arrest, Majors have been dropped by his talent manager, Entertainment 360, which it sounds fake, but I think it's real. Uh, <laughs> film. What am I thinking of? There's some. No, they, never mind. You're thinking of the uh, Parks and Rec Entertainment yeah. 720. <laughs> that is exactly what I was thinking of. Thank you for <laughs> filling that in. Um, That's where the joke comes from, though. Yeah, that makes sense, though. Uh, and his publicity firm, The Lead Company. He's also no longer involved with the protagonist pictures film, The Man in My Basement. The U.S. Army also pulled a major ad campaign featuring majors, as did the Texas Rangers baseball team. Several other projects involving majors, including Spike Lee's The Understudy for Amazon and the Dennis Rodman film 48 Hours in Vegas for Lionsgate, remain in limbo. But uh, the big news here is that, yes, everybody assumed that this was going to happen, and it finally did. Marvel Studios has said they have parted ways with uh, majors and now the studio needs a new Kang. So who do you got? Who do you recommend? Who do you who do you cast? Uh Washington. Which one? Both of them, technically, yes. <laughs> Need to be more specific. No, I don't. Because with the upcoming movie The Kang Dynasty, because it deals with multiple versions of Kang, you can have both Denzel Washington opposite his son, John David Washington, with the third John David Washington's son as the kid. And it's just a Washington family who takes over as Kangs. It's just their versions of the King. Uh, they're the, you could call it the pure versions of Kang. Jonathan Majors was just the, all, all the alternate versions of Kang. Do you think that Denzel Washington, multi-Oscar winning actor, Denzel Washington is willing to take that part. Did you see the Equalizer 3? I did not. Touche. All right. I guess 2023 Denzel Washington. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, yes. Well, I don't know. But we'll this also, out. I think, would be their way of getting John David Washington into mm. the MCU. Well, we'll which see. Is but... the real crown jewel of someone you want to keep around. Yeah, something like that. But yeah, we'll see uh, see what Mar- Marvel, you know, ultimately does with that part. It's a very pivotal part to their um, their you know future of the MCU. So uh, yeah, they got to figure this out pretty soon. Well, I mean, they did just hire a book. I think it was Bacall to um, rewrite the entire both Avengers movies of King right. Avengers King Dynasty and Avengers right. Secret Wars. So since that came out last month, and they had the drop of the whole bit of we're going to release them. I think they knew. Yeah, or at I least think they, they were preparing they were for it. Do it. Yeah, they were going to prepare for it and be like, yeah. "Okay, just when it hits, we're just going to launch it out there." Well, so we'll see what happens. I mean, that's also kind of the good thing is that the way Jonathan Majors' Kang role ended in Quantumadium back in February this year, where he got sucked away, he can come back looking completely different, and it would make complete sense in the MCU. It's true. Hell, they did it without it uh, with uh, Rhodey all yeah. the way back in Iron Man 2. Of, Anything could happen. Of just a new actor being replaced. And even upcoming, uh, Harrison Ford is going to be uh, replacing the late John Hurt. Mm, right. So, so, MCU has done it before. Done it before. They can do it again. All right. Well... We'll have to wait and see what happens with that. But in the meantime... Don Cheadle. Why can I think of Don Cheadle's Don name? Like, Cheadle. Right on the of my name. <laughs> yeah, Don Cheadle. 
All right, let's move on to our next story here. Hey, video games, they be making them into movies these days, and there's well, more to come. Well, this past year, we saw that video games and movies make a lot of money. Well, if you're Mario, that's the thing, is I think that it's a tricky thing to just assume that any video game to movie adaptation will work, but some companies are banking on it, including A24, as they have announced a collaboration with Kojima Productions, yes, that Kojima Productions, to adapt Hideo Kojima's Death Stranding into a live-action feature film. The news comes as A24 made a new t-shirt available, a tie-in that depicts a A24 logo in the Death Stranding style. So what do you think about Death Stranding? Having played a little Death Stranding yourself, what do you think about a, a movie based on it? I mean, do you think they actually get Norman Reedus to play this role again? I did, I heard a, a similar <laughs> conversation about this. It's like, I think he's in it, but I don't know if he's a star. I think they could have it about somebody else in that world and then mm -hmm. run into Norman Reedus. I don't think he's a bankable blockbuster star, unfortunately. No, he's him. not. So yeah, I don't know. Then again, there have been well, blockbuster films where they try to make someone a yeah. blockbuster star. Looking at you, John Carter of Mars. <laughs> yeah, that worked so well, didn't it? Yes. Anyway. Uh, okay. But, sure. hey, I mean, but the game, do you think it had, that story adapts well to a movie, or is there not a whole lot there? No, that story adapts well for yeah. TV series because there's a lot of different layers and back and forth, and spoiler, he <laughs> is his own baby. So how are you going to make people, one, either believe that or two, understand that without watching breakdown yeah. videos of it? I don't know, man. I don't know. But yeah, we'll find out. Because uh, yeah, if that, ever thing, if that thing ever actually exists, which we'll see. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Amazon and Games Workshop have confirmed that they're working on TV shows and movies based on Warhammer 40k. That news comes 12 months after the two sides reached an agreement in principle to develop adaptations of the miniature war game for big and small screens. Henry Cavill, Cavill, I don't know why my voice broke on that one. Henry yes, Cavill. that Henry Cavill. Yes, a PC builder extraordinaire and also longtime Warhammer 40k fan will be an executive producer and might star in some of the TV shows and films. I mean, this, this makes some sense. I mean, uh, it's similar to the deal Amazon has made for that Fallout show. Uh, depending on how that is received, I think they might have kind of a ballpark of what their expectation, you know, of what uh, the expectations are for video game fans for these kind of adaptations. But yeah, War Warhammer 40k, easy and universe to adapt into a sci-fi show or movie. Uh, just big bulky guys in in uh, mech uh, robots fighting each other in war-torn battlefields. Boom. You got a movie right there. Yeah. Just look at what Halo did at Paramount+. Plus. <laughs> I didn't realize that that's going season two yeah, somehow. Easy to adapt, right? Yeah, well, you know. This time there's no, like, oh, that's the guy. There's no, like, Mr. Halo like there is for Master Chief in that franchise. I, no did you Warhammer. just refer to him as Mr. Halo? Mr. Halo, yes, on purpose. There's no, Mr. Like, Mr. Halo is his father. <laughs> um, there's no, like, one person, really, that uh, stands for the entire Warhammer universe, so I don't know. Yeah. Also interesting here is that this is just 40K. People who are aware of the franchise will know that 40K is the future version of Warhammer, which is a fantasy franchise. So you could actually adapt both and have two very different things. Uh, but, you know, we'll see what they ultimately do. I just hope that... Right, yeah, I said Warhammer 1. I yeah. go through 39,999 <laughs> versions right. yeah, exactly. to get to, so get to 40K. Warhammer 40K. 
Um, the one, my one request though is I want them to do a Lego, uh, a Lego movie style approach to this framing device where it's actually taking place on somebody's war game like table, and mm -hmm. it's you see get to see the opening shots is just some guy in his basement painting, painting. a figure very very slowly because that's what you really come to Warhammer to do to paint shit. And then you paint his cap orange so you know who the main character is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. this one's different. He's special. He's got a different color than everybody else. Anyway. That's how you know he's the leader. He's got an orange stripe on his yeah. uh, chest. That's how you know. And then lastly in our little bits collection about game movies, Jack Black says he's patiently waiting for Universal Pictures and Illumination to greenlight a sequel to the animated box office smash, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Please, please, Jack, please stop. Please don't say anything more to them, because then they might actually do it. And I don't want to watch another one of those. I don't want another one of those to happen. Please, move on. Do something else. Do something better. Jack Black has so many songs in a follow-up to Peaches <laughs> that he's just begging for a sequel to be made. He's like, I made one about Yoshi. Please, let me sing the Yoshi song. <laughs> Ugh, anyway. Yeah, I've established my feelings about that film. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, I mean, the fact that that thing hasn't been greenlit yet, I won't put it squarely in Nintendo's ballpark. I would say, yes, I believe that that's probably Nintendo's call at this point. I think if they do one, we're not going to get it for a while. Because I think Nintendo, you know, need for everything to be perfect is going to keep that production like from the public life public eye for a very long time yeah they're going to make sure that hey if we're gonna do a sequel we're gonna do it our way and we're gonna right. do it right yeah. because we're not just gonna pump something out like say hardman did this past week okay are we ready and... right away here <laughs> yeah we tease it up and have movies. people just shit on it all right we watched some movies um uh, one of them since you already did the segue for it Yes, uh, Netflix. Oh, see, out. the other segue was to go to the Sony segue of yeah. video game movies being relatively okay. That's fine. Uh, but yeah, there's now a sequel to Chicken Run. Yes, Chicken Run, the 2001 uh, Ardman film that, or 2000? 2000, 2000, 2000. Ardman film um, that used to be, I believe, was, maybe still is, the highest grossing uh, stop motion animated film. Of all time. Um, I wonder, just for inflation. Yeah, well, also. But I think even besides that, I actually think that might still be true. Um, it was a huge hit. And uh, also, a classic. I really like Chicken Run. I think it's a good movie. It's I think a probably, lot of people like Chicken Run. Yeah, it's great. Like, it's it's a classic, not just because of how amazing it is that they pulled all of that off in a stop-motion animation. But also, it's a great script. It's funny. It does have some baggage. Uh, Mel Gibson um, is a star in that film. And of course, you know, you know what happened to him. Uh, you know what the choices he's made over the last two decades. Um, and ultimately, yes, uh, besides that baggage, that one thing to keep in mind, it was a big film for Ardman and it kind of changed their trajectory in the industry. Yes, you, it, you're it making is, a weird face. I'm making a weird face because it, you were correct. Still it is. is the biggest yes. stop motion film with a lifetime gross of 106 million dollars yeah nothing that Ardman followed it with made that amount of money and i know what you're thinking that can't be true but it is because in second place yeah 25 million dollars behind it basically a huge like opening weekend behind it is Coraline 
Yes. That's 75 million. So yeah, that brings into the question, well, besides Arpin, who's left? It's Laika. And all the Laika movies still haven't outdone uh, Chicken Run because they're typically not, you know, big blockbuster releases. Uh, Kubo and Two Strings. Uh, they make all that beloved. money back on uh, re- reruns and streaming. Yeah. And, Crit- uh, and yeah, they're critically sales. beloved films, yeah. but they just don't make the money. Um, so yeah, which brings us to uh, this past weekend where, yes, Netflix, we knew that Netflix was distributing a sequel to Chicken Run, and it's finally here, Chicken Run, colon, Dawn of the Nugget. And uh, based on what you've already said about it, not a fan, huh? <laughs> uh, no. Um, you know, whenever a sequel comes out, looking at you, Frozen 2, I, <laughs> I wonder, does this thing need to be made? What's sure. the purpose of making a sequel film? What world-changing, world-building event needs to happen with these characters yeah. to warrant a sequel. Because it can't just be, oh, we want to like dive back into that world again. We want to just like live in it. I just want to like get more of it. No, there has to be something that moves everything forward, moves everything in a new direction. And that's where Chicken Run Dawn of the Nugget happens in, I guess, kind of two ways. Mm. First, being a chicken factory of not just pumping up fried chicken, but chicken nuggets, thus Donna the Nugget. But mm-hmm. then also the family aspect of Ginger and not Mel Gibson, Zachary right. Levi. Uh, well, yeah, character. which we should talk about real briefly. If you're going to replace Mel Gibson, maybe don't also re- re- don't replace him with somebody who also is a super controversial figure. But uh, who am I to say? I'm not a casting person. Anyways. Well, you know, also don't play replace him with someone who's younger than the original voice actor when he uh, when he played that role and mm. doesn't sound like he smokes 20 packs a day <laughs> guess it's fine i don't know anyways anyways very noticeable difference he's not pulling off any type of like mel gibson-esque no. kind of like i don't think he was trying to it i think they just told him like just do a very straight ahead american thing and then you'll be fine yeah yeah you're an american rooster run with it yeah um uh, yeah but yeah they have a kid and it's their little nugget of adventure thus the dawn of the nugget yeah so that's your basic premise but you know how do these two worlds collide yeah through rough and mcguffin shenanigans <laughs> and i did not like how they did this so okay here's my kind of take on this um act one sucked ass i'm sorry yes i love that first movie and i felt like what act one was doing is hey you remember how good chicken run was well here's a much worse version of the same characters that you grew to love in that first movie everybody is just such a like carbon copy like like somebody basically described like oh these are the personality points that all these characters need to meet and every and all these characters just pretty much espouse that on screen in dialogue it's just like these characters are just basically telling you, not showing you, this is my personality. Remember that? Remember when we did these things? Let's have some flashbacks to what these specific scenes were from this first better movie. It just really threw me off, and it was a weird it, tone. It takes the 23-year gap seriously to where yeah. you're not supposed to remember what these characters yeah. were. And like, here's a quick hit. Oh, remember what this character is? Instead of a sequel like it's supposed to be, which is going from directly from one to the other which is fine if 
your story takes place 23 years later. But in this case, there's a dissonance happening because it doesn't. This takes place, presumably, I don't know how old a teenage chicken is, uh, but let's say the equivalent of 13 years. So like <laughs> yeah. a little over, like a little under half of the time that it's a actually assumption. been. Assumption, yes. The, the movie appears to take place somewhere in the 1960s, is what mm. I will say, uh, because of some uh, some choices that they make later. Yes. Uh, otherwise, which which makes you ballpark the original movie as being being a very uh, either within World War II or post World War II timeline. You could just roughly say that that's what we're looking at, which makes sense because the first movie is based on The Great Escape. It's essentially a pastiche of The Great Escape. Mm-hmm. This is a pastiche too, but I'll get to that in a moment. Um, because the the little more obscure this time. In case you aren't a fan of, um, let's say British sp- espionage television, but I'll get <laughs> to that in a second. Um, but yeah, so so yeah, the the problem I had with Act One is it just seemed like the setup was just all very setupy. It just seemed very like ham fisted what it was trying to do, which is like, hey, remember everybody that you like? Well, here we're going to explain where everybody is right now, and then we're going to establish very quickly that they have a daughter now, and this daughter is going to go off on a new adventure. It's painful, but then there's a glimmer of hope when you get into the act, act two. Your new hero, the daughter, gets to be on her own. She needs a new character with an interesting new, you know, perspective. What's up with this character? Well, too bad. We never get to know. <laughs> we don't know where they came from. We don't know much about their origin. We don't know really who they are beyond being, I guess, a little curious, I guess, and maybe with a rebellious streak. But beyond that, no other information. We learn nothing about this person. But for one moment, I was like, interesting, a new character. Cool. Let's learn about them. We don't. Because nope. instead, we're thrown into a parody of the 1960s British television show, The Prisoner. Do you know what The Prisoner is? <laughs> No. Okay, so we'll be brief. Um, it's very, it's not super well known in the U.S. It is roughly speaking a uh, film in which somebody is uh, locked into an island in which they can't escape, um, where everybody is assigned a number, and there's some sort of mind control experiment happening. Yes, sounds like the plot of this movie. That's because yes. it's the plot of the prisoner. <laughs> no, no, really, only notable things about the prisoner is that it's very '60s mod. And also, and in like the way it's presented, and like the dress and the and the production design, and then also there's these floating like like balloon things that are supposed to be like tracking everybody, and it's gonna be it's like one of the like iconic things of like 1960s British television. Anyway, so think like spy stuff. Mm-hmm. Notably, there's an episode of The Simpsons that is a parody of The Prisoner as well, where Homer ends up on a similar island. And he has to deal with basically the setup from the prisoner. Look it up. It's like up, like in the teen season. So it's not classic Simpsons, but it's relative. It's from a while ago. Anyway, if you Google the Simpsons, the prisoner parody, you might find it. Anyways, um, so yeah, the rest of it. And there I kind of, I don't know, I felt a little better about it as the movie went on. I still didn't love it as much. It still did the thing that I really don't like uh, when things do, which is... We're going to remind you of all of the best jokes of, from the first movie, but to deliver them worse. <laughs> they made it a point, I think, to bring up, hey, remember this funny that line that somebody says in the first movie? Here, we're just going to do it again. And that's the that's the joke. Instead of writing new jokes, we're just going to use those jokes that you liked before. 
like it kept happening and it kept driving me crazy. I was just like, why do we need to do this? Just come up with new jokes. But the sad part is, is that when there are new jokes, they're just not funny. It's just the script is lifeless. Like everything they have um, the Rocky character do just feels like a parody of what he did in the first movie. And none of it is that funny. Like they literally, they have him say the most cliche stuff in the script. And it's so disappointing for like characters that actually seem like they had personality and like life in them. Overall, maybe I liked it a little bit more than you did. I don't think it's su completely superfluous. I think there are some interesting things that they do with that premise. And I like how they're having fun with the 60s vibe. And I do like where they almost got with the theme. It seems like there's some sort of underlying message at the end about how, like, they want... Uh, I forget exactly how it's worded, but uh, Ginger has a speech towards the end about how, like, no chicken is an island. And, like, there's something to, like, you being unified instead of being separated. I think there's something to that if they had fleshed it out a little bit more. If they had maybe a cup had time in their, like, packed action script to have some more low-key one-on-one moments with some of these characters. But no, it's built like... It seemed like what Ardman was trying to do is make a film for the modern expectations of an animation audience say what you will about the Spider-Man movies, but they may have done some, like, may, may have done some bad, had a bad influence on some modern animated films in the pacing of these films. They just go too fast now. They don't slow down. You don't have to pack a chicken run movie out of all possible movies full of action sequences. Just have, like, two memorable ones. That was all that we needed for the first one. But here, they just kept happening over and over and over again. It ends like four times. We just kept looking at each other, Christy and I, and we were like, I thought this was over. We They're not done? They're going to go save these other chickens? Like, what's happening? Why does this keep happening? And so, yeah, it's just, they did too much with it. It's too ambitious. It's not funny. There's some moments of glimmering hope in there. But ultimately, it's just disappointing. I mean, you didn't like how they had to break into the facility, to break yeah. out of the facility, to break back into the facility, right. to get trapped in the facility, yes. to reference all the way back at the beginning of the film, how to escape. I knew the popcorn thing was going to come back. Yeah. I knew that that was going to come back because it seemed so useless in the beginning. Like, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this scene with the popcorn? And at that moment, I realized, oh, because it's going to come back and it's going to be the thing that they say that they're saved by because otherwise Rocky is completely useless in this movie. He doesn't mm -hmm. do anything except pops out one vent and he figures out popcorn. It's just a bad script. It's just a bad script, which is frustrating because it's a sequel to a movie with a great script. Like go back and analyze the script of chicken run. It works so seamlessly. It's everything flows. Everything matters. Every scene leads into the next thing. It's a great scripted plotted movie. And here, they throw out that legacy completely. They're just like, yeah, let's just make something that'll entertain the kids, that is colorful, and uh, it feels like an Illumination movie. And it's just really it's so does. disappointing. It's so disappointing for something with the Ardman name on it. It's just, I don't know. It's just so, I'm so sad. I feel like I was let down. I mean, I was especially let down when they escaped, and then we're like, wait, we gotta go back and save my friend. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, why you just met that person you're yes. free we you're, also you, you made it you're, you're also, safe now why are you risking yourself 
I, I mean, the easy answer, the, mo- the movie's answer. Who tries to say is that because she is no Ginger's daughter, yeah. and that Ginger would have done would have also saved her. Yes, but yes, but the actual movie is telling you this late this teen chicken is a bad influence, and she has no idea what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like, what are we talking? What are we doing here? Um, and yeah, and the idea that the end where it's like, oh, now they're a freedom, like a chicken freedom force, and they're gonna go like bail other, other chickens, chickens out. Yeah. Why? Why are we doing this? <laughs> To overrun the world to and of chickens. Just I don't know. It's just such a Whatever. weird movie. It's a weird movie that I don't know if I would agree with you where it didn't need to be made, but I would I would say it could have been way better. They had the pot like they had the potential in the idea here, but they ruined it with just a bad plot. Did the other chickens need to be there? When you say other chickens, what do you mean? I mean the um the friends, the knitting one, the big one, the smart one, and the yeah, old one. Did I think, they need to actually be there? I think that they needed it to feel like a little bit more of a ensemble cast. And I think that's why they're involved here. Also, you can't do a heist parody, which is one of the things they do in this film. Like I said, it's doing way too much. Um, You can't do the heist thing without them splitting into teams. And that's the only way they can pull that off. I know, but what do they accomplish in the facility? Nothing, because everything just leads to everybody meeting with each other again. No, none of the pieces actually seem to matter. Oh, I remember what it was. They needed the smart one. To take the knitting ones of crocheter, sure, to unlock the collars because pressing a button was too damn hard to do. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's just it's not a good movie in general, but especially as a sequel to Chicken Run, mm-hmm. it's a massive missed opportunity. All right. Anyway, you also watched two other movies. Please tell you me. Watched two other better. movies, also on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, wait, was Grand Turismo on Netflix? I want to no. say yes. No. Maybe? I don't know. <laughs> Who can say? It had to be, because it wasn't on Peacock. <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Yeah, it is, because it's part of the Sony deal, where they still get their stuff. Oh. Uh, so yeah, Grand Turismo on uh, Netflix. Um, like I said, it's a video game adaptation. Okay, so it's not a video game adaptation. It's an adaptation <laughs> of a contest right. of a video game. In which somebody plays a video game. When someone plays a video yes. game that already aired in 2010 on the PS3 <laughs> as part of the PlayStation Store like uh, free stuff that you could like download and watch. <laughs> yes. So here it is, 13 years later of that contest, and it is the movie about the contest, not about Gran Turismo the game, is yeah. about the contest that yes. Gran Turismo put out that a driver of their game would make a good driver in actual like racing competition. Non-spoiler, he doesn't win. I mean, I didn't think he would. No. But he makes the podium at the end, and that means he's a legit driver. So, is it I don't know. It's hard to say that this is a good movie because the whole point of it revolves around you liking the character who just wants to play a racing video game. 
And if you don't correspond with that, then it kind of hopes that you correspond with the uh, the angle of, I want to race games, I'm good at it, but my dad doesn't approve because it's just a video game. And he constantly says, I will never make anything of myself because I just play video games all day. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that angle works, except it's at the very polar ends of the film to where you're supposed to remember this is his whole driving force and is no way mentioned again, like throughout the whole like act two or or like even the beginning of act three, it's just right at the very end. It's like, you did right. It was like, I was wrong. You were right. It's like, yes, but we also kind of figured that was going to happen. <laughs> um, it's a okay-ish movie. I did like the action sequences. Uh, I did like the actual like racing that was done, but it also wasn't a like video game racing scenario that I didn't like. <laughs> it was like the actual car racing that I liked because uh, yeah. the action sequences in it. But it's an okay movie. It's not the worst thing that I've seen, um, but it's also like it's a nice story of following your dreams. And I guess how. Uh, was it Poly Digital or Polytechnic Company actually makes uh, a game that's that's as accurate to a driving <laughs> sim as yeah. can be? I mean, that's the thing. It's never going to be. Video games have to be a separate thing, and so you can't all of a sudden be amazing at racing. Of course. Mm-hmm. However, on its face, yeah, it could. It's an interesting human interest story, you know, yeah. deep in there. Um, and so the movie is like, it does an okay job, I guess, of retelling this. Oh, but there is the one, that, that's the part, I'm sorry. The suspension of, <laughs> of disbelief is that before he races in the uh, in the qualifier, he gets pulled over by the police. So in order to evade the police, he has to drive, um, not in a Gran Turismo style, but in a... Uh, was it Need for Speed style video game through the streets in order to evade the police? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, wait, this is the wrong video game here. <laughs> You're referencing the wrong video game. Um, <laughs> but it's that was the only way to like show you that, yes, he does know how to drive an actual car really, really well <laughs> right. outside of a sim car. Yeah, that's kind of important. Yes. Yeah. But as but a movie... Like, this. Yeah, as a movie, it hits the beats. It does what it wants to do, and it gets out. Um, it does move re- pretty fast, um, and it does do the um, will he, won't he survive this crash and then come back to race? Because you need that after movies like Rush came <laughs> out and uh, was the other one. What your dad's favorite movie? Um, Oh, Ford, uh, versus, Ford Ferrari. versus Ferrari. Not to be confused with Ferrari. Yes. Yes. Same kind of concept. <laughs> so people who want to watch maybe something a little bit more compelling with cars, maybe wait for some Ferraris, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I do wish there was more like in-depth knowledge and like, oh, like he knows the car more than like all these other competitors. Or he knows the car just as good as his chief mechanic because right of the game and yeah i wish there was kind of more of that to more establish like his knowledge uh, of the car beyond i'm good at racing right there's some sprinkled in there but i don't think it's enough that's fair 
And lastly, I'll be really, really brief with this because I think it's a movie that you should be watching. Leave the World Behind. Okay. This is a end-of-the-world scenario where you don't really know what's happening. And I'm going to leave it at that because that's how the director leaves at it. Okay. It's very much left up to interpretation of what exactly is happening of what is causing this, how people are reacting into it, more or less the how and the why is kind of pushed to the side and be more of, well, it can be whatever you want it to be, be whatever you think it is. Because the story is trying to tell is this human interaction uh, between two different families. And it wants to focus more on that than the cause of this distress okay it gives you like little hints and bits of like what it could be and you could kind of connect the dots together but it doesn't want to focus on that it wants to focus on the families these two families um one family that's renting the house from the other family from an airbnb style um vacation mm. but then all this like chaos in the world happens so the original family comes home and it's like hey is it okay if we're here like we know you're supposed to we're not supposed to, but the world's kind of in chaos right now. So now our families need to coexist, and so you get the um, the 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 family clash of well, this is technically our vacation, but it's also technically our home. Mm-hmm. But also, we don't want you to think about too much about the this world, this internal politics when world huge politics are currently going on right now. But we also want you to think about that because we want you to. Just, passively think about that and focus more on the dynamics between these two families, mainly the the, the parent, the parental figures. Mm-hmm. Um, overall, once you get to the very end, I think the message is simple in that no matter what the chaos is that goes around in the world outside, sometimes the only thing that matters is your family and friends. Not your physical friends, but the show friends. <laughs> what? I'll leave it at that and let you watch <laughs> Leave the World Behind. Wow, I am so confused. <laughs> As you should be. <laughs> I have no idea what this is. Even though you I, I just think... told me what this is, I still don't yes, know. I don't know if the movie knows what it wants to be either. Like I said, it's done on purpose to leave gaps between what is happening because it doesn't want you to focus on what is happening outside and focus more on the interactions between the people but in doing so you kind of lose focus as to what they're doing between each other because you want to unravel that mystery and it's too good of a mystery to un- to leave unraveled hmm. or sorry not to leave unraveled to leave boxed up that you want to know what exactly is happening out there and how is that affecting these characters here mm-hmm. rather than what it wants to do, which is just focus on the characters. Don't worry about the outside of how they got into this predicament. Just focus on the characters because the character interaction is what is driving the story. What I want, the story I want to tell human interaction here of how people can be mistrusting of other people 
when uh when the world goes to chaos what we really need to do is to come together then tear us apart mm-hmm. that's the story it wants you to leave with okay I, okay all right yeah. interesting but like i said saying anything else is going to give something away well i don't know if it's going to give something <laughs> away but like i said at the very end being with yourself and being with your family and being with friends like can help you get through all the chaos in the world. Oh. Well, that's a, that seems like a very poignant lesson right now. And that's, that's, that's cool. Yeah. So. Especially since friends is on HBO max and this movie was on <laughs> uh, Netflix. Anyway, not those friends. Anyway, you say that, but you yes, watch the damn friends. thing and tell me otherwise. Maybe we'll see. It's a metaphor. Uh, I know it's a metaphor. <laughs> Anyways. Okay, cool. Well, that was Leave the World Behind. So yeah, so a mixed bag in the movies this week. Um, but hey, speaking of a mixed bag of movies, if you want to hear the movies that we did like this year, well, I've got good news for you. As I said at the top of the show, we are continue- continuing our 2023 year-end wrap-up as we speak with the upcoming episode about movies so check that out we also have three prior ones as i mentioned earlier we've wrapped up all of those categories as well so yes tune in for that and of course we'll be back with another regular episode on tuesday the 26th final episode of the year yes we'll wrap up the year in our normal episodes as well there so where do you find us you ask well we're in audio form on audio podcast services such as google podcasts Apple Podcasts, uh, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whenever you get your podcast, just search Media Boat Podcast. We're on in video forum on YouTube. Search YouTube for Media Boat Podcast, and you can find our channel there. Like, subscribe, click the bell for notifications when new videos go live. You can also find us on social media platforms like Twitter or X, you know, if you're nasty, where you can find us at Media Boat Cast. You can find us on Facebook by searching Media Boat Podcast there. You can find us on twitch.tv slash mediaboat, where you occasionally play some video games. Like, you can see some archives of Mike's playthrough of Final Fantasy 16 on there. And maybe more in the future. Who can say? And you can find us on the web, mediaboatpodcast.com, our website where all our write-ups are, including some write-ups for the wrap-ups that we've done recently. So you can see write-ups of from us for our top five Video games, our top five albums of the year, and our top five television shows. That's up now on MediaBoatPodcast.com. So, lastly, if you want to ask us any questions, give us comments, feedback about the show, you can email us at MediaBoatPodcast at gmail.com. And with that, that will do it for tonight. We will be back soon with more wrap-ups and a new episode of the show proper next week. We'll be back uh, with... Like I said, with the finale of season eight. Yes. That sounds right. It sounds right. Sounds um, right. Episode 415 coming up next, later. Yeah, yeah tomorrow. 415. No. Tomorrow. <laughs> not tomorrow. No, not no, tomorrow. No, not tomorrow. tomorrow. <laughs> no, next week we will wrap up this season as we get ready for yet another season of the Media Bill Podcast. We'll be back yeah. with more news, more thoughts, and more of us. So look forward to that. See you guys next time. Okay, bye. Bye.